This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, it's 6 a.m. on Thursday, the 22nd of September. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar in studio this morning with Wong Xiaoning and Chong Jensan. Good morning, good morning. We made it to Thursday. Friday Junior, as we like to I call know. it on The Morning Run. It's like a little bit of the calm before the Friday storm because everybody's trying to finish as much work as possible before the weekend. Yeah, just a day away from Friday. I'm comforting myself, by the way. <laughs> we all are. We all are. But it doesn't mean that we don't enjoy being here in the studio and taking you from 6am all the way to 10am. Absolutely. We have a lot of interesting conversations lined up this morning. Later on at 7.15, we ha- we're seeing more cases being reported of Malaysians duped into travelling overseas for job opportunities only to find themselves caught in a human trafficking nightmare. So we're going to discuss the deceptive tactics used by these job scammers with Adrian Pereira of the North-South Initiative. And at 7.30, as expected, the Fed has raised interest rates by 75 basis points and we discuss the ripple effects of Fed monetary policy tightening with economist Kungo of ANZ Bank. And then at 7.45, the drama continues. Endeavour seems to end because Amno and Bersatu are part of the same government. But yet, leaders of both parties have been squabbling in public this week over the country's economic management. We speak to political analyst Dr. Azmin Hassan on what this signals about the timing of GE15 and are they BFFs or not? Yeah, I would say frenemies at best, I suppose. Some days best friends and then some days frenemies. Isn't that how fluid politics is? Very fluid indeed. We're going to have all this and more today on The Morning Run. So stay with us, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, that was the Eagles with Heartache Tonight. And if you spent last night in heartache, I hope you let The Morning Run soothe you. This morning, I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Chong Jensan, 6.06am on Thursday, the 22nd of September. Now, Chelsea Clinton, Colin Hanks, Najib Raza. What all these names have in common is that they're the offspring of prominent parents. And that's the theme that we're looking at this morning. It's based on an article from the BBC. Jensen, why don't you walk us through this story? Okay, if you look at the article, one would immediately assume that this only impacts children of famous parents. I mean, Willow Smith, the daughter of entertainers Will Smith and Jada Jada Pinkett Smith, she's described growing up with her famous parents as absolutely excruciating terrible. But in reality, this also impacts children of less famous parents. And what resonates with me is actually my childhood idol. I'm a basketball fan, Michael Jordan. I mean, who knows Michael Jordan's sons? He has actually two sons. And to be fair, one of his sons' claim to fame is actually he, he is now dating Michael Jordan's ex-teammate's ex-wife. So that's his claim to fame. That's his claim to fame. So oh, I guess dear. people know his name now at least, but honestly, I, I've forgotten his name. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. That's not such a claim to fame, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. And just for context, the, t- the article is titled The Kids Who Live in Their Parents' Shadows. Um, and as Jensen says, this, this applies to those parents who are rich and famous. But it can also apply to the less rich and famous, I guess, the more ordinary among us, where they have parents with very gregarious personalities or who are very successful in their career paths. Uh, that too can oftentimes cast a shadow on, on their kids. Mm, okay, so... 
I can only talk about myself, right? And for sure, I think when you have parents who achieved a lot, and not necessarily, I think, even monetary, okay? It could be just academic or in terms of coming so far in life because of the difficult uh, background that they come from, the challenges that they had, maybe they were very poor. The, the shadow clearly exists and the pressure is always there to do better than for me at least to do better than my parents because I've had so much more opportunity than they've had right because they've come so far to grant me my education to give me the start in life and then when I look back I think oh not so successful as compared to my parents right despite all the advantages and then you feel how do I live up to to that then, you know? And there is a little bit of this, like, oh, I should have done better, I could have done better. And I wonder, is that unnecessary pressure on myself? Because everybody is different, right? And success doesn't necessarily need to be measured in the same way uh, as your parents' success. I mean, Jensen, I have to bring into this conversation because you're really the only one among us who actually has kids. Kids, yeah. So how, I guess, how do you view uh, your kids' future path? Do you have expectations for them, like pretty high expectations, whether or not they can achieve those? I think, yes, naturally. I think all parents would want their kids to do better than them. That's the ultimate goal. Would you be very disappointed if they didn't? Or is there a measurement of that? I wouldn't. I I would want them to chart their own path, to do what they want to do. Um, but I guess um, they have nothing to worry about, right? I'm just a middle-aged man on radio, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. Don't say that. I mean, yeah, and I think some of the examples that the article ga- gave is that, um, say you have a, a parent who is a doctor and they also want their kids to become doctors. Um, then the kids talk about the sense of um, pressure that they feel when they decide not to become a doctor, that they'd rather become an artist instead. And I feel like these conversations are replicated across the, uh, households um, around the country, really. It's a very common mm. um, a common scenario um, in, in life. Yeah, but I, I, I'm already lucky. I mean, my, my parents aren't like super famous. But imagine the pressure if your dad or, or mom were really, really famous. So it brings to mind like billionaires, right? So of course, I, you know, I worship billionaires. No, I don't, I don't, but I do admire them. So for example, uh, Hong Kong's richest man, I mean, he was like a plastic watch salesman, right? Selling trinkets. And of course, he's now worth billions. I always wonder, what's it like if I was Richard or Victor, his two sons? It must be incredible pressure. I already feel pressure as Wong Shaoning. Imagine if I was Richard or Victor. And if I lost the fortune, oh by golly, how bad would that be? I, I think there is that um, uh, pressure on, on, these, on these offspring. A lot of them talk about how they feel that they need to work twice as hard to show that they don't succeed just because of their parents' connections or because of the platform that their parents provide them. And, and that's kind of the uh, dilemma or conundrum or really just the conflict yeah. from people outside viewing in and from them themselves how they experience life. And also they want to be known for themselves, right? As my own person rather than the son or daughter of somebody. Imagine your whole life, that's what's your identity all about. That's tough. I'm going to bring in a pop culture reference here. That really is the setup for Grey's Anatomy, the TV show, where you've got Meredith Grey, who has a really prominent mom, um, who is a really you know renowned doctor, and she's trying to, she's kind of forced to live up to that name, whether she wants to or not. Um, but, you know, tell us what you think. Do you have an experience of growing up in the shadow of a very prominent parent? Or what are your, I guess, who do you watch in terms of um, the offspring of famous people? 
people in terms of what they're doing. Uh, are you a Michael Jordan fan? And do you know the name of his kids? Do let us know. You can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We are heading into some messages at 6.12 a.m. Now, we'll come back after that. We're going to be talking about pyramid schemes. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, that was Arcade Fire with Ready to Start. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mukhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Chong Jen San. Now, I think it's not inaccurate to say that in general, there's a universal aversion towards multi-level marketing programs or MLMs. And this could be because it's often linked to being a pyramid scheme at times. And just to be clear, not all MLMs are pyramid schemes, that's for sure. Um, But there's this piece in the Financial Times that points out another arrangement that's akin to a pyramid scheme, and that's private equity. Or allegedly. Allegedly. Let's be clear about that. Okay, so what is private equity? Shall Shall we dial back a little bit in terms of what it is, Jensen? You're the smart one in this room, the one with the CFA. We don't have one. So tell us, what is private equity? Well, private equity is just opposite of public equity, right? It's, oh, now it's you're just, going to get people more confused. <laughs> like, what's public equity? It's just deals that are done where companies have not reached an IPO stage yet. Mm. So um, I guess this article really talks about um, where Denmark's largest pension fund, ATP, they've sounded the alarm on private equity and they said, They've likened it to a pyramid scheme and they've said it's not good for business. And why they say so is because 80% of the sales of portfolio companies by private equity firms that ATP has invested in were either to another buyout firm or, or they were to continuation fund deals. So what this means is that PE funds are selling to other PE funds mm. at higher valuations. So... In the end, who's going to be left holding the baby? So nothing is really created by in, in itself, right? The value is only going up because we're exchanging paper, isn't it, at the end yes, of the day? Yes, yes. So the point is that when it does eventually go to a public market, does it crash? Or even before it gets to public market, it might just fall apart because no value was actually created. Is that the point? I think so. And I guess it's uh, a bit uh, interesting that it's only brought up now mm. and it wasn't brought up before. Um, before rates were accommodative, uh, everything was fine and dandy, the risk appetite was high, everyone's making money. But I guess now I, I'm assuming that a lot of these deals with the current climate have gone sour. Yep. And so that's why maybe some of these uh, uh, pension funds are bringing this up. And I guess ATP is not the first. Uh, I do recall the CEO of Amundi has also brought this up. Okay. So. I, I, get where, I get where you're coming from and I think there are many reasons for this, one of which is the size of private equity globally. Mm. And uh, this is according to uh, Prekin, they're a research house in specialising in alternatives. They say that the private equity market has surpassed uh, $4.74 trillion at the start of 2021. And if you include private debt, real estate, infrastructure, you could actually have a wider private market of $7.3 trillion. So it's a lot of money. There's a lot of dry powder. Now, you're right in that interest rate hikes, right, have caused people to take a step back. And also, if you ask me why this has happened, it's because a lot of the deals that seem very lucrative in the private equity space, when going to the public equity space, failed tremendously, have put people's minds into this mode of, 
what am I actually buying? Where's the value created? And the famous one, of course, is Grab, yes. right? <laughs> it went to a spec. It entered a spec listed at what fifteen US dollars. I think today is probably what two, three it's US below dollars. Three, I think. Yeah, so people are shocked, right? Yeah. yeah so the, what what have private equity firms created? Fluff? Am I that mean? No, not necessarily. Some private equity deals do very, very well. But I think with interest rate hikes expected to peak at, what, 4.6% in 2023, hurdle rates for private equity will definitely be much higher. Yeah. So I suppose it will be a lot harder than for startups or uh, tech companies start growing now to actually get to the sizes that we've seen in the past moving forward. We've been in this era of ultra low rates for so long. Shaoning, you've been seeing ultra low, ultra low rates for the past two, three years. Now it's the complete opposite, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. So grab $2.84 US. <gasps> yeah. From I wonder bucks. where in terms of uh, the tree, where in terms of um, the share price now as compared to their previous runs of, previous rounds of funding, yeah. whether... Like even the Series A or B, are they still making money? So yeah, P funds they're they're notorious in enticing investing companies to actually launch fresh rounds of funding to push up valuations. And I guess um, this article is very it's very appropriate to really um, take a step back and see whether PE deals are really what it's cut out to be. I think there definitely will be a change in terms of investment uh, expectations because of the hike in interest rates. The other thing I think that will force a lot of companies, especially startups, so maybe startups, big startups, okay, is to concentrate on cost. And it's not so much about cash burn anymore because the private equity deals are shrinking and liquidity is going to be, isn't going to be as easy to come uh, as in the past. Then you're really going to have to look at your operations and the turnaround time to become profitable will be quicker and quicker and quicker. That's what investors will expect. So there will be a change in private equity, if you ask me, in terms of timeline, cost projections and profitability. Tell us what you think. How will private equity deals change moving forward? Now that we're exiting the era of ultra low rates, you can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio 624 AM. We are heading into the 630 AM News Bulletin. Here's Shade with Smooth Operator to take you to the news. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, that was St. Vincent with Down and Out Downtown. We are downtown in Tamantun, Dr. Ismail. Uh, we're the morning run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Chong Jen San, 6.40 in the morning on Thursday, the 22nd of September. Now, earlier today, we were talking about uh, kids growing up in their parents' shadows. We do have some uh, WhatsApp messages that came in commenting on this. Yeah, Stephen came back to say on WhatsApp, even back in school, I think he must have been a kid... Uh, his parents must have been teachers or at least one of them. Teachers' child, uh, children are always expected to achieve better, like higher scores in exam, behave better or how they have to participate in competition and how others always threaten him when you saying, I'll tell your <laughs> mom later. And I, that even if he achieved any success, other people will brush it off by saying, ah, your teacher's child, uh, that's why. Stephen, I take it you're the son of a teacher. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he's very, per, you know, perceptive. And written from the heart. <laughs> and another Steve, Steve wrote in and said, now majority private equities are actually a poor reflection of the past private equity market. And he says, better park your money in FD for the moment since, uh, because of the interest rate hikes. And this is uh, in response to the article in the Financial Times, which quoted uh, some pension fund heads as saying that private equity is akin to a pyramid scheme, something that perhaps 
perhaps we're going to see more of this kind of sentiment moving forward as interest rates rise. Uh, and speaking of interest rates rising, this is the time where we take a look at global headlines from around the world. Of course, all the business headlines are really on the US Fed and their decision to raise uh, interest rates by 75 basis points as expected. We've been talking about this all week. Mm-hmm. It has now materialized. And we're going to find out more when we talk to Kun Go, who is the chief economist at ANZ Bank. So do tune in. That's going to be happening at 7.30am. He's going to give us a rundown on it and also the implications it has on Asia. But I think the other headlines, of course, is the fact that in New York, the UN General Assembly is taking place and President Joe Biden has condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine. His language was rather strong and apparently it was well received. In the meantime... Putin hasn't sat quietly either. He came out to say that he is going to... He has announced a partial mobilisation of around 300,000 reservists which will be conscripted. And I think another um, comment from Putin that has that really got a lot of attention is the fact that he warned he would use Russia's nuclear arsenal if its territorial integrity was threatened. He even said, this is not a bluff. And I think those are really heavy words to yeah. use. When you're threatening uh, the use of nuclear weapons, that's uh, that's that's... That's serious business. So serious that on Wednesday, flights out of Russia were sold out rapidly. And according to economists, internet searches for how to leave Russia have skyrocketed. Wow. Wow. So I think people are getting very nervous. Uh, what has caught your eye, Jensen? Well, I'm looking at uh, something in, on CNBC. It's uh, interesting, but not all that surprising. So ADB, Asian Development Bank, they are now seeing Asia's uh, emerging markets, Asian economies' growth to be, for the first time in 30 years, to outpace that of China. So I guess this is uh, not all that surprising given China's prolonged zero-COVID policy. And it does seem to me that China has sort of given up on this year's growth. And what could possibly be the turning point would be the China Party Congress uh, sometime next month. I mean, don't forget that earlier in the year, China said that it was going to achieve 5.3% GDP growth. I think five and a half. Five and a half. Five and a half percent. And I think everyone's really been uh, kind of doubtful of that uh, and whether they can actually hold hold that, whether they can actually achieve that. So that's something we're definitely going to be watching. Um, but yeah, so if China's going down, if the US is going down with its hard landing... Um, Who's going to save us? <laughs> we're going to save ourselves. That's ASEAN what's going to happen. center of growth, which is actually something a lot of our commentators uh, have actually pointed out too because Europe's not doing well either, right? Uh, but I think another headline that caught my eye is what's happening in Iran. Uh, the death toll from Iranian protests have risen to at least seven and rallies have been taking place uh, since the funeral of Masa Amini. She's a young Kurdish woman who died while in custody of morality police. And there has been an internet blackout reported in Iran's Kurdish region. But I have seen some very grainy pictures on Twitter where you do see women protest, protesting, taking off their headscarves. That's rather unusual in Iran because it's compulsory to wear a headscarf from the age of seven onwards. So the death of Masa Amini has created enormous furor in the country. I don't think we've seen this level of protest since uh, several years ago when there were uh, back when during election time about, what was it, 10 years ago uh, when people uh, rose up to um, support democracy. So um, whether this will, I guess what the repercussions of this will be is something definitely worth watching um, in Iran at the moment. Uh, it is 6.45 in the moment. At, it's 6.45 right now. We're heading into some messages. We're going to come back with a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. 
BFM 89.9. That was The Journey, Any Way You Want It. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Chong Jensen and Wong Xiaoning. 6.50 in the morning on Thursday, the 22nd of September. We're taking a look at what's making the uh, front pages of our local newspapers and portals. Can I start us off with what the front page of the Utusan Malaysia uh, is? PRU 15, the cabinet is divided. Cabinet berbelah bahagi. And this is coming out from yesterday's cabinet meeting where purportedly uh, the ministers discussed uh, GE15. This was kind of signaled by the yeah. prime minister earlier Before this he, week. Before he flies off to New York, right? That was right. the plan, isn't it? So um, this uh, article points out to different uh, ministers, some named, some unnamed. Some say that they didn't discuss it. Some say that they did. I think the consensus that we can get is that we still don't know when GE15 is. Uh, nobody knows, I think, pretty much. But uh, definitely, you have some politicians being more vocal than others, like you say, Shaz. So the first one is Kari. Kari Jamaluddin has basically said it's not conducive to hold the GE15 during flood season. And this was re- this is reported in uh, Malaysian Insight. He says health considerations need to be considered, pu- manpower, public safety. And he's not keen on this. Uh, I think... It's also something repeated by Bursi. Bursi have come out to say it's not, it's not ideal time. Tun Mahathir has also basically said it. Actually, all of the opposition have come out to say it. That's right. So I think this is something that, um, you know, we're going to have to see whether this sways uh, the decision of the Prime Minister on when to call elections. He is the one... Uh, who can decide when these elections are called. But his hands are kind of tied because he's promised to consult the top leaders of UMNO and he's consulting with cabinet. Uh, he's got a lot of considerations to take into account. Um, in, uh, very briefly, in other news, Harapan is in talks with MUDA and PSM to partner up for GE15. So I think all eyes are still on what the opposition coalition is mm. going to look like going into the elections, whether they'll form coalitions uh, prior to the elections or maybe post-elections when the results come out. All these configurations yeah. are still up in the air. Because Muda once has come out to say that they won 15 seats, right? And we do know uh, that PKR and Muda, they will be competing lightly in the same seats, uh, those that are winnable. So let's just see how whether anything will come out of it. Now, I think uh, I wanted to mention Kari again because he has come out to say in the Malay Mail that the Ministry of Health has stressed that there is no interference and special treatment in terms of medical treatment accorded to former Prime Minister Dato Sri Najib Razak, who is currently at the Chiras Rehabilitation Hospital. Uh, and he says that the ministry is going to conduct a full investigation, I think, because there have been many allegations as to whether he's being treated specially. That's right. Don't forget that there were those messages uh, where Najib Razak was Merpati. codenamed as Merpati. I don't know, man. Pigeon, that's not really the best uh, Do pigeons fly free? Uh, yeah. And wouldn't, I, I'd prefer like a more maybe macho bird like eagle or hawk, you know, something of Falcon. that sort. Falcon. <laughs> but they can't fly free either. Or a penguin. Oh, <laughs> That would be a nice... I, I'd take that code name, code name Penguin. Um, but yes, yeah, so uh, that's the latest news coming up on that. What about in front of you, Jensen? What are you, what's caught your eye this morning? Uh, it looks like quite a dry day in terms of local news for me. But I guess um, what I've seen is um, Prime Minister Datu Srima Sabri is actually leading Malaysia's delegation to the 77th session of the United Nations General Assembly. And uh, he will lead. He will join world leaders from more than 150 countries who will be gathering 
to talk about um, various issues. That's right. The uh, UN General Assembly is ongoing. Our Prime Minister will be there. It's the second time he's attending as Prime Minister. All eyes are going to be on what kind of announcements he makes. I think climate change will feature very prominently. Mm. We did see a lot of um, policies being launched just before he left, so I'm sure he wants to trumpet that to the international stage as well. Now, I'm looking at the HCO morning brief, right? And a multi-agency special committee led by the Foreign Ministry will be formed to ensure Malaysians uh, don't fall into job scams and that the those that are stranded overseas will actually be brought home safely. And I think we get, we're seeing more and more headlines on this, especially on the back of some individuals unfortunately uh, dying overseas and their parents actually having to pay huge sums of money to bring their bodies back. So the question marks over as to why in the first place these people go, what is this What is this modus operandi and what are we doing to protect them? And it's not just Malaysians that are falling victim. No. The BBC carried a very interesting report uh, coming from uh, people from Taiwan, people from other parts of Southeast Asia who have also fallen victim to g- these job scam syndicates. So it's really um, something that uh, should be monitored very closely by all governments in the region. Yeah, and at 7.15, we're really going to talk about this in greater detail with Adrian Pereira. He's the director of the North-South Initiative. So do tune in. That's going to be happening at 7.15, actually. All right, it is 6.55 in the morning. We're heading into the 6 a.m. news, bu- well, not 6 a.m., I'm sorry, 7 a.m. news bulletin. Taking you to the news now is Nico with These Days BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.